Hello, everyone, and welcome to Space Junk, a weekly podcast dedicated to the amazing hobby of amateur astronomy. Each week, we'll bring you interesting and fun discussions with an eye towards providing you with the latest information and advice on the tools, gadgets, software, and techniques for maximizing your enjoyment of the night sky. Your hosts are Tony Darnell from DeepAstronomy.Space and Dustin Gibson from OPT Telescopes, a world leader in telescopes and accessories. I'm going to go ahead and get us started. I want to welcome everybody. If you don't know what you're doing, you're listening to Space Junk Podcast. My name's Tony Darnell from DeepAstronomy.Space. And with me is Dustin Gibson from OPT Telescopes. We get together all the time now and yell at each other over these microphones. Hey, Dustin. Hey, Tony. This is uh, is going to be another fun one. We got uh, my buddy Jeremiah here from Florida. He's down there with you. Yeah, yeah, he's over on just uh, just across the way on on the uh, west coast of Florida. I'm on the east coast, but we're both in central Florida. So, you have a, so as you pointed out, Jeremiah Roth is his whole name. He is a he goes by the handle I Deep Space on Instagram. So if you aren't following him, you need to. Um, and so tell us a little bit about yourself, Jeremiah. Welcome to our podcast, and tell us a little bit about yourself. All right, so. I'm me. Uh, some some of you will follow me I'm on me. Instagram. <laughs> and we're not, and we're not you. So just we're, we'll clarify that right off the top. <laughs> you know, for for the people that follow me on Instagram, you know who I am. But for the people that don't, you know, I'm I'm just your pretty standard average white male. Um, I've loved astrophotography since I was in fifth grade, and took out a library book that I uh, allegedly never brought back. I'm not going to confirm or deny what that <laughs> library book is, but. Uh, I may or may oh, not I've still never done that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love that uh, in introducing yourself, the first thing you say is, I stole something. I committed a crime. That's <laughs> and, right. and, 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 I, and I say that to say this, and I say allegedly because not only did I steal something, but I grew up to work in law enforcement. So I hope not too many of uh, – <laughs> Okay, well, we won't – we won't press that issue then, and we won't confirm nor deny this whether this crime did or did not happen. Right. Uh, all right, so you said you've been into this since you were in fifth grade, you said. The fifth grade. I took out that library book. I popped it open, and uh, I took a look at a picture of a twin jet nebula. I'm sure both of you have probably seen the yeah. same picture I'm talking about, but it's the mm-hmm. big blue-green one that's symmetrical in all sorts of ways that just – don't make sense to me, especially when, you know, stars explode and do that. It, 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 so much of this hobby doesn't make sense to me. And I think that's why so many of us love it because it just, it's not mundane. You know, you can talk about a movie, you can talk about music, you can talk about cars. You know, if you love this stuff, maybe it's exciting, but it's, it's not that complicated to figure out. And then you have this stuff. And, and for someone who likes to challenge themselves, I'm not, Einstein. I'm not Stephen Hawking. I will never figure this stuff out. So it's like a bottomless pit and a rabbit hole of just new stuff that you can find that just blows your mind every single time you try to search for it. Yeah, but you know, Dustin makes a point a lot of times in this podcast that it's gotten easier, don't you think? I mean, over the years, it's certainly not like the film days used to be, where you had to hypersensitize film and load it up in a camera and hope a couple of weeks later you get an image. But it's gotten a lot easier, don't you think, Jeremiah? Absolutely. Um, I have a, a buddy, Rob, he goes by Astrohog on uh, Instagram. He was telling me how he used to shoot planets with film. And I just, I can't even imagine how, fr- I mean, this hobby is frustrating enough as it is, but not 
just it blows my mind how people could do that. The amount of patience and, and trial and error that that would take back then. I mean, as you say, it's gotten so much easier with with the advent of information sharing. You know, I wouldn't even know where to begin with Phil. Yeah, I I wouldn't want to sit. I mean, just listening to the stories that people tell me about the days of shooting film, where you're you're at um, you know the guide scope and you're actually manually guiding while the camera is exposing. You're watching that guide star for thirty minutes, and if it moves at all, you have to use a hand controller to move it back, and you know just the whole thing. And then at the end of it, having zero control over the final image. I mean, it's so limited compared to what you can do with a digital image. Um, it just seems like <laughs> I know such, such a massive challenge for a very limited reward. I, I was thinking about that same thing with uh, the black hole picture that came out. So right. obviously, you know, I, I don't know much about the process, but I know it took years. I know it took like a half a ton of hard drives that needed to be manually moved from all over the world because we just don't have a means to transfer that much data. And, yeah. and I was looking at the picture, I'm like, I, I'm sure they must have compensated for this somehow, but what if they had done that and they were out of focus? Imagine right. what that would have felt like. Like just someone didn't take, obviously there's no lens caps involved, but, <laughs> but, but of all yeah. the dumb things that we've done, you know, forgetting to take off the lens cap, forgetting the battery, forgetting the filter, all the things that could have gone wrong and didn't. Oh my God! What if it? Is? I know they had to, they had to coordinate telescopes from all around the world to not just uh, a millisecond precision, but like ten to the minus bullshit level of precision. I mean, just crazy amount. And I could just imagine the leader going, "Okay, guys, well, thanks for that night, but Mexico, Mexico, you screwed it up. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thank, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, just, yeah. just cut that off from the bottom yeah. of the U.S. We would have had it, away. but Mexico." Mexico left the lens cap on. So now we got to start again. So, yeah. <laughs> and that happens all the time. I mean, there there are no imagers in the world that say, oh, yeah, I'm 100% successful all the time. Everybody Absolutely has forgotten. Not. Everybody's forgotten the USB cable. Everybody's forgotten a power cable or just, you know, done something stupid, forgot to press, you know, guiding or whatever and Got started your, your imaging run for the night. And it's just everybody's done it. I've done literally all of those. I, I think... Probably the worst one I ever did was I was, I was walking around. I got to sit down. I usually pace when I talk. I'm walking away from the microphone. <laughs> um, I uh, waited all day long. This was last winter. I was trying to shoot the Orion Nebula. And it's, I, I do this all out in my backyard right inside the city of Tampa. So wonderful portal nine skies with a street lamp right next to my patio. And uh, I was carrying the mount out with my OTA attached to it because I'm lazy and I don't like to dissemble if I don't have to. And I tripped and I fell with the mount in my hand, with the OTA on the mount, just ate it right into the ground. The OTA hit the ground, snapped off the uh, snapped off the mount. And after that day, my collimation was never quite the same. And when I looked at it, I could see that the shape of the tube had changed. That was probably the biggest biff that, that I've ever done. Hopefully well, not too many people do that. <laughs> well, okay. So, Jeremiah, can you tell us a little bit about the journey that you took to get from fifth grade wanting to do this? I'm not saying any crimes occurred, but past <laughs> that, uh, what what was the journey that you took to get where you are now? Tell us a little bit about that, like the – yeah, did you start with the moon or did you did you just dive right in and try to get, you know, Z8 galaxies or something? And uh, 
when it, it started at a young age, you know, I always just loved space. It fascinated me. And, and this is a notion that a lot of people will probably resonate with is I don't really know why I love space so much. I don't know why I, I stare at the, at the moon or stare at the star. You know, other deputies make fun of me all the time when I'm on night shift. I'll just kind of stop and just squirrel style, just look up at the moon for five or 10 seconds while I'm, you know, giving someone a traffic citation or something like that. But uh, it's just something I've never been able to wrap my head around, something that's always been interesting. So I grew up loving this stuff, looking at the magazines, you know, just kind of following the same journey that everybody follows. And in 2016, I moved to Florida. And for a reason that I don't really know why, I just had the desire to, to buy a telescope. So I bought a used uh, 8-inch Orion XT8 Dob and just looked through it, started looking at the moon and, and Eventually, I wanted to share it because you know how today's day and age goes. So I held an iPhone up to it and uh, liked what I found and then bought a like a $12 on Amazon solar filter and refused to look through it because I didn't trust it, but stuck a camera through that in the daub. And, and then things really came to a head when on Thanksgiving, I took the daub down to uh, St. Augustine to look at the Orion Nebula and I took my DSLR at the time and I took a two second exposure. And for the first time I had seen color in the Orion Nebula and I, I had the purples, the blues, I had the trapezium and all of it was nice and streaky and smeared and star trailed. But as soon as I saw color, it was, it was over from there. So it, I, I bought the adapters that I needed to buy to attach the, uh, the DSLR to the DAB. I ended up needing to remove the focuser and handhold it because there wasn't enough in travel. And eventually I just got tired of that and dropped a tax return plus some to get my first Orion Sirius mount with uh, an Astrotech AT65 based on whoever does uh, astropix.com. I forget his name, but he had an awesome tutorial on everything you kind of need to know for beginner astrophotography with kind of entry level, medium level, and this is the best gear you're going to get level and, and you know where you could find to get it. And Ever since then, I've, I've, I've just been absolutely hooked. You know, I didn't know before two years ago that a normal dude like me could take pictures like the pictures that, that we take. It just, it never even yeah. occurred to me. You're not only taking pictures. I mean, you're you're sharing with 17,000 people per day, you know, over 17,000 people. That's um, That's some serious outreach, <laughs> you know. And your photos are phenomenal. I mean, you even over the last year, watching your photos progress, you know, um, you had this lull for a while because you had such bad weather. And I know things got a little bit chaotic there in Florida, but watching them progress, it's like almost scrolling through your feed right now. I'm looking at your stuff and you can just see over the last year, your images go from, you know, good, good images. I mean, these are solid images, but to just absolutely spectacular to the point where you received a NASA APOD. That was definitely, I freaked out in my car when I read that email. It yeah. was, uh, it's, how uh, did that I, happen? The APOD or the freak out, or I guess, would I they guess be the, 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 well, you, the APOD, <laughs> the freak out. I know, I, I know that the freak out was caused by the APOD. I guess, so. <laughs> uh, I mean, they, they have the submission. So anybody, I, I don't know, if it is purely amateur submissions or, or if they take them from professional venues or, or whatnot. But I know that any Joe Schmo like me can, can put in the work, take a picture and, and win an APOD if, if they're lucky or skilled or however you want to have it. But I was one of the lucky ones that did. It, it happened on Thanksgiving Day. You know, I'm just I'm, I'm thrilled. 
that that one of my pictures ended up on a website of an organization that, in my opinion, are are, are the smartest people in the world. You know, the the more you know about like the Voyager mission, the more you know about the space shuttle, this, that, and the other thing, the more you understand just how incredible some of the things that they do are, how how inside and outside the box thinking needs to be. It, it just blows my mind. You know, the fact that they would even look at something that I did is is nothing but humbling. It, it, I was thrilled. So describe for us your equipment. What are we, what are you using right now? So I have a, my, my equipment is actually how I met Dustin. And I told Dustin like a year ago that, that I would explain to everybody what made me an OPT customer for life. And we'll make sure we do that now because I never actually made good on that promise. Okay. Um, but I'm using a Celestron CGX mount. Uh, thanks to, to Dustin. That was my original mount was a Sirius replaced by a defective Atlas Pro. Dustin helped me offload that and get into the CGX. I'm using an Explore Scientific 127 APO, you know, a, a not entry level, but not amazing telescope either. You know, it's not a $5,000 William Optic or, or Stellar View. Zewo, and, and I always call it Zewo. I know there's at least one person that's going to laugh at me about this, but a ZWO ASI 1600 monochrome, electronic filter wheel, and some Zewo guide scopes. So I'm a fan of the the CMOS cameras. I, I love Celestron. They haven't done me anything wrong. And then I've got my Explore Scientific APO that finally replaced that uh, slightly out of shape Newtonian telescope that I used, which had I not smashed it on the ground, there's a $300 telescope with a $200 coma corrector that you could do a lot of good with. So I've noticed that too, that the, the, the cost of these optics are not that much anymore to get real quality. I mean, back in the day, uh, Celestron, I think and Mead were the two biggies. And uh, of course there were Takahashi's and stuff, but the, the, for reflecting telescopes, I think it was Orion that came out with the most reasonable Maxutoffs that, you know, you could get some decent images with, but these were, you're right. The, the cost of these optics is not high anymore. The mounts, however, <laughs> that's a different story. Yeah, the mounts, the filters. When, and when it comes to light pollution, I mean, obviously, you've got your, your DSLR versus your cameras, but the filter is, is what makes all the difference for inner city imaging like I do. And I'm sure we'll get into that more later, but that it, it's, it's... No, let's get into it now. What, what filters do you use? I use the Zewo LRGB filters. Uh, I do not use a light pollution filter, even when I'm, I'm shooting from inside the city, just because I, I don't like to fight with the color cast. And, you know, when you, when you learn the right tricks with, with editing, you can get around that color cast. You can get rid of the gradients and the set of the other thing. And I don't need my images tinted blue or red or green or whatever color the light pollution filter is going to make it because it's already hard enough to get that color balance right once you're inside the city. So one of the things about this hobby that, that I've learned many, many times is if you can control a variable or you can eliminate a variable, you should do so because it's, it's already yeah. complicated enough as it is. So I throw right. that away, Agreed. but I use some really basic Zewo LRGBs and I use an Astrodon three nanometer HA and O3. And I want to grab the, uh, the SI filter shortly, but I'm going to wait until at least fall because summertime, I'm not going to be able to do any deep sky, which is, yeah, well, I know. 
that's the problem with being in Florida. We're we just we're just leaving our observing season, really. Um, on 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 this coast, it was it was not a great one. We had a, a lot of poor weather forecast that looks clear and ended up not. I don't know if it's like an El Nino season or what, but my heart yeah. hurts a little bit. Yeah, it was a tough one. But right now, we're just now entering the time when it's even worse. Uh, in Florida, at least the the skies in the summertime are awful. Usually, we get a lot of uh, weather patterns coming in late in the day and so it's you know the the skies at night are terrible uh but the winter time december november through i think february or is just like the prime times around here to do the observing but we're just leaving that now so you know what i what i like about your system i'm looking at a picture of it right now um that you posted a couple months back in uh june or yeah i guess a while back um when you first got this system you posted a picture of it all set up and you're right like you're not using the most expensive gear out there but i think that proves a really valuable point i mean you've got these images that even nasa is saying you had the best image in the world that day it's not like you did it with two hundred thousand dollars of equipment i mean you have your explore scientific apo which i think is those are phenomenal telescopes especially the value of those telescopes is incredible what you get for the dollar is incredible You've got your ZWO 1600, which I think is is roughly what a thousand dollars for your camera, something yep. like that. Yeah, I think it's nine ninety nine right now. Yeah, a thousand bucks, and you know that camera is killer, man. That sensor is so so incredibly sensitive, and um, I'm seeing some of the best images come out of um, some of these ZWO cameras right now. They they're amazing for the dollar. Yeah, and and they're even they're even more user friendly than a standard CCD would be in in the sense that CCDs require long exposures, you know, 15, 20, 25 minutes. If, if you, I never change the gain on my Zero. I always shoot Unity. But if you rack up the gain and you get a ton of exposures, you can get away with a less than stellar mount using 20 or 30 second exposures and get a lot done that most people, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't think you could do. So you, you can, one of the, I was talking to my buddy Tegan, who does the Mr. Astronomer, on uh, Instagram today, and, and it's not always about the pictures. It's about the problem solving. It's about the hurdles. You know, if this was easy, none of us would love it as, as much as we do. Right. It's, it's about overcoming those hurdles. It's about making do with what you have with your gear. It's, it's, it's about finding ways to improvise. And, and I always like to use this phrase to think inside of the box in order to help you think outside of the box. Yeah, well, and that's kind of why I wanted you to have have you on uh, on this show was because you're in Florida. You deal with a lot of challenges that other parts of the country don't. You know, you guys do have less than ideal observing conditions, especially where you are there in Tampa. And so many of the times that we've talked, you've been saying like, well, I'm just waiting for these clouds to roll out. It's going to be the next three weeks of clouds, you know, <laughs> or or do or just a lot of issues like do. What is that? What is that in Southern California? I've never seen <laughs> it, you know, like, yeah. it's so dry here. It's just never an issue. It's not even consideration. But you have a lot of challenges that we don't in other parts of the country don't. But there are other places that live in kind of this bubble of challenge. And I want you to kind of talk about some of the things that you do to get around that other than just light pollution. Oh, oh God, where do I begin? Um, I, I, I think it begins with with kind of my philosophy in life. Um, I think that, that the weakest people in the world, the least successful people in the world are the people who've never been backed into a corner and forced to improvise or forced to fight. I think the weakest people in the world are the people who constantly seek out comfort. Comfort causes complacency. Complacency is laziness. Laziness means you never progress. You know, if you're not in love with what you do, or if you don't have a reason to be driven to get better at what you do, 
then what are you doing? You have to want to get better and you have to be willing to tackle these challenges. And part of that is just learning. You know, everything about this is, is learning. And every time I edit an image, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to jump all over the place here because I have so many things yeah, please do. running through my mind here. Every single time I, I edit an image, I learn something new. And, and it's been two years since I've been doing this. And still the last image I did, it was actually the heart nebula, but the horse head nebula, I learned how to properly blend HA stars with RGB stars without that weird artifacting odd blue thing that I always get whenever I use HA for luminosity. And, and so many things I've learned in Photoshop and PixInsight from just tinkering, you know, creating a mask to target the regions that I want to sharpen. You know, I, I make a mask using the paintbrush tool to only paint the parts that I want to sharpen. And then you apply that. Great. Okay. We'll go back to that mask, copy it all, and then invert it. So now that I've sharpened what I want, you invert the mask, and then you apply noise reduction to all the areas that I don't care about sharpening. So you can highlight the details while reducing the noise in the background of the image. And not only does that obviously give you more detail, but since the detail is sharper than the rest of the image, it gives you depth. And, and to me, with photography, the, the Biggest difference between an okay photo and a great photo is is depth and dynamic range. And that's just, it's it's one of the things that I discovered you could do through tinkering. What you mean by dynamic range for those who are just listening to this podcast and getting getting early, getting early on, getting started? What do you mean by dynamic range? So so my understanding, and, and I try to understand as little as I can while maintaining a an effective means to use what I do understand. It's, it's basically the difference between the brightest part of the image, which is going to be the center of your stars, and the darkest part of the image, which is generally the background. The more difference you have in that, the more depth is the best way I can describe it, the more 3D your photo will essentially look. And when you have a photo that is successful in capturing a wide dynamic range, it's going to, it's going to pop. It's going to have depth. It's going to look 3D versus when you look at something like a planet, or at least my planetary photos, they look pretty flat. They don't jump out at you. They don't necessarily look too round. And if you edit the wrong way or you over-process, which is something that I've been guilty of doing in the past and a lot of people still do, I, I usually, usually the first time I get a photo, it's overdone. And then I bounce it off a few of my friends and they tell me to chill out and put down the Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> Cut that, and, Cut that uh, edge detection just a little bit too hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, many, many, many times. But to, to circle back with the ways that you beat the light pollution, I guess, um, that, that we initially started this with is... Dustin, you mentioned when you looked at my old photos versus my new photos, the difference between them is not only just editing, but it was integration. Everybody, when they first start out, gets super excited about this stuff. I remember I posted a picture of M3 with a whopping like three minutes and 30 seconds of exposure, and I was super pumped about it. And you know, you jump from one target to another target to another target because it's so amazing to you that you just want to push it all out there. And especially with light pollution, if you only have three or four or five hours of data, the amount of processing you'll have to do to try and get rid of that noise or get rid of the gradients or, or, or otherwise make it look nice is, is going to destroy the rest of the image. So as we all know, and I guess my point in saying this is that there is no shortcut, no, yeah. no $10,000 telescope, no $20,000 camera, no perfect skies are going to give you a noiseless image no amount of anything aside from sitting out there collecting that data is, is going to give you the ability to 
push that image as hard as you want it to be pushed to, to take it from average to really, really good. You have to have that integration. Yeah, I'm looking right now at, uh, so November 18th, you took your first photo of the Orion Nebula. And man, that image is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> that is the worst I've ever seen. So I want to congratulate you on that. Um, Thank you. But no, ser ser <laughs> seriously. Not Top Look, 10 or not top 10? That <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I figured that's why we'd bring you on the podcast was to bash you. Um, but, but no, seriously, um, looking at that image, this little, if you, if you're listening to this podcast, go to iDeepSpace on Instagram and look at this image. It's, um, it's where a lot of people start and, uh, it's like a little blue fuzziness <laughs> in the center of the image. It's not even the right shade I'm, of blue. Yeah, it's not. It's not at all. It's horrible. It's a terrible image. And then, and it then, really sucks. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's the worst. It is the worst. I don't man. even. I don't even think but, my mom liked that one. Usually, that's. But two years later, I'm looking at your Orion Nebula, and it is stunning. It's unbelievable. It, it, it's hard to believe still. And I see these pictures all day, every day. This is my job is to, to see these pictures and to do this with people, right? To, uh, to do astrophotography and help people. And this picture you took of the Orion Nebula in November is absolutely incredible. It looks like there's no possible way these two images were shot by the same person, especially two years apart. I'm German and Irish and very stubborn, man. I, I don't like to, I, I never want to be mediocre in anything that I do. And there are plenty of ways in this hobby that I still am mediocre. I will, I will never, ever, ever believe that my, my shit doesn't stink. You know, as much as I've learned, I've got a million more things that I need to learn. So how do people do it though? How do people go in two years from um, taking an image that is embarrassing for me to even look at because it makes me part of it to... Damn! To... Where you're at now? How do you do that in two years, man? Practice. It, it, it is. Yeah. It is obsession. It's passion. So you're out there it's every night. Every every night that I can be. You know, when I was in my little planetary phase that I went through, you know, my quarter life crisis, I guess you could call it. Every single clear night that I, it, it, you, you just have to try and try and try and try and learn as much as you can, even even when it's cloudy, even when I'm not imaging. I spend at least an hour every day reading about processing or looking at something. And even if I'm not learning about processing, you can look at somebody else's image and say, okay, this is, this is what they did. This is the road that they took. This is the road that I took. And it'll prompt you to go back and look at your data and try to take their road. And in that process, you learn something new. It, it's literally yeah. just little thing, little brick, little brick, little brick, little brick. And every now and then you'll, you'll, you'll discover something that I, I just like to call straightforward little breakthrough moments that yeah. are, are paradigm shifters for you that you apply to the next images that you do. And, and I guess if there's one little piece of advice I could get, if you find something that you like or you get a result that you like, write it down because there, there's so literally just write it down. There's so many things that we'll learn or try or this will work or this didn't work that you'll jumble up your information. For, for me personally, I will not remember it. So right. I'll, I'll write down the steps that I took in editing. And, and if I find that those steps brought me something that I liked, I'll keep them. Because there, there, there's not one workflow ever that will be perfect for every image. You know, sometimes I use deconvolution. So I haven't used dynamic background extraction, which so many people think is, is um, 
required on damn near every image in six months. I didn't use it on, on the APOD image. I didn't use it on the horse head. I didn't, you know, there's no right. workflow that will work perfectly for every image. You have to dive in, you have to practice, you have to learn, you have to tinker. There, there's no substitute for getting in there and doing it and learning it and trying it. Yeah, and I agree. And if you're if you're trying to push an image as far as it can possibly go, I completely agree with that. I will say though that uh, my process is is the exact opposite. Like I'm constantly looking for this this recipe that I can give to other people and say, do this, and you're going to simplify your image processing, and it's going to be. I mean, these are going to be cooked images. Every image I have is super cooked, and then once it's done, I cook it again. You know, um, but I'm trying to find the simplest possible way to make this something that everyone can do. I want everybody to have better images than I have, you know, and finding these processes that eliminate a step or even just make a step slightly easier or where you can just edit the whole thing on your cell phone, you know, in the Instagram app. I mean, that's what I'm constantly looking for. And so it's um, it's a little bit different. Actually, I mean, it's the exact opposite. You know, I'm not looking for the next thing that's going to be, how do I make this thing perfect? I want to find, how do I make this perfect for people that don't know what they're doing to really get involved and and make something out of nothing and 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 it kind of ties into a related but separate argument you know i have a basic flow that i do but one thing that i saw many many times when i was first starting out was pixinsight versus photoshop which should i get right and, and yeah that's a huge question for everyone and and unfortunately and and this is a theme in the hobby it's not this or that it's both and you have to pay for both of them naturally. This hobby has been the death of uh, my wallet. It's been pretty great, but you know, you know, it's it's picks and sight gives you basically your your get in there. I, it's almost like your mathematical improvements to an image. You you get in there. You can subtract the background. You can use deconvolution that that can potentially replace chart. It, it just it does a bunch of fancy voodoo stuff that I just don't understand, but it does it and it works. And I do my deconvolution. I'll do my manual stretching. I never, I use the auto stretch to preview, but every time, and, and this was a big thing that helped my images a lot. It's one of my little paradigm shifters. Do not apply the SDF auto stretch to your image that you intend to edit. Use it as a preview, use it as a mask, but the STF is always excessively aggressive. And then when you try to color combine, RGB or HA and O3, like like I like to do, you're going to end up with these really weird color gradients. So what you do is you push it up to the SDF and then you back it down a little bit and you'll get a less aggressive. Many of the people listening right now won't know what you're talking about with auto stretching. So what does stretching an image mean? So stretching. Um, and, and you're talking about, you're talking about PixInsight and not Photoshop, right? Correct. Okay, correct. good. Just want to also clear that up. So, so what does it mean when you stretch an image and why would you do that? So stretching it, essentially when you, when you get an image, especially if it's a narrow band image, you, you get a shell of the image. You get a mass of data that's essentially hidden and you stretch it by going into the levels adjustment in Photoshop or, or anything else. And you essentially raise the midpoint of the image and then compensate with the black point and then raise the midpoint, You're, you, you tease that out. It's, it's hard to describe to someone who's never seen it before, but you pull the data that's there out by eliminating the extra data you don't need and keeping only the good data that you do need. Yeah, because the cameras are better than you need them to be, essentially. You've got all of this extra data that's actually hiding the image that you want to see. So it's there, 
hidden in the data, but you actually have too much data. So you cut out the parts that are too dark or the parts that are too light. Generally, it's the parts that are too dark. You cut that out. So you've actually compressed your image. You have less data, but you, um, you've trimmed you now fat. can, yeah, exactly. You can see what was there hidden underneath all that extra data. Exactly. And, and without getting, uh, too long-winded. Pixinsight does the magical voodoo stuff that can really make a difference for an image. I usually process my photos there first. Once I get a, a solid starting point, whether it's color or color combined, I'll combine them there and I'll immediately go into Photoshop. And that's where I'll do a good deal of some of my noise reduction. That's where I do all of my sharpening, and that's where I do all of my color correcting. I don't even know how to use the saturation tool with PixInsight. I've tried it, and it never works the way I want it to. I literally don't know how to use the tool. As, as far as the easiest, simplest flow, put it into PixInsight, do the auto stretch to give you a preview of what it is. You can deconvolute if you want to. You don't have to. You can dynamic background extract if you want to. You don't have to. Stretch the image, use the HDR multi-scale transform tool. It is, it is one of those little magical tools. You, you set the settings to either six, seven, or eight is usually the good one and tell it to go. And it just, it looks fantastic. And that, we were talking about dynamic range earlier, it is just like a magic special sauce button that you can put on the image. After H, HDR, I'll do local contrast enhancement. And that's essentially all I do in PixInsight. The rest is just little fixes in Photoshop and, and I mean two or three hundred tiny little things that that no one would see as a change individually, but as a whole, it ends up looking all right. The dynamic background subtraction you're talking about, that's not the same as doing a normal background subtraction, right? I mean if you I mean dark subtraction and bias corrections and all that kind of stuff. That's done by Pix Insight automatically from your calibration images, right? Right, yeah. I, I okay. usually uh, compile in DSS, but you can do all that stuff in PixInsight if you want. Uh, dynamic background extraction, and, and I'm glad you brought this up, for dealing with light pollution, especially in uh, RGB, is fantastic for removing those gradients. Um, it'll, it'll take out gradients from streetlights, it'll take out gradients from the moon, it'll, it'll do all sorts of stuff. And I know, uh, I forget, I think it, I don't think it's Astro Tools, but there's a plugin for Photoshop. So for, for someone who doesn't have the money or, or time to learn PixInsight, there's a plugin called uh, Gradient Exterminator that does a pretty solid job. So you can accomplish a similar thing in Photoshop to get rid of those gradients. But you said you don't always do that. You don't always do the dynamic or removal. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. It, I, I, it depends on the target. For example, if I find when your target takes up your entire field of view, for example, with the Horsehead Nebula, there's really not a lot to subtract because all of what I'm looking at is nebulosity. So anything I subtract is good data. You don't want to subtract the good data. You want to, as the name implies, extract the background data. And if you have no black background, you're not really going to extract much. So I didn't use it on my horsehead nebula. I didn't use it on my heart. Um, and for another reason, for a different reason, and I don't know how deep we want to go into this since I'm so disorganized, I didn't use it on the APOD image. It's, well, it sounds like for extended um, objects like nebula, nebulae and, and, and really large galaxies that fill the, the image plane, you, you don't need to do it. 
but for things that are isolated, maybe planets or whatever, you might want to remove it around the area, at least, of the object that you're viewing or that you're trying to process. It can certainly help. But the one time I will say you will do it every time is when you're shooting RGB. Um, yeah. you, will, you will have gradients upon gradients upon gradients when you're in, in Bortle 9 like I am. And between flat frames and DBE, the dynamic background extractor, you can make a huge difference in your image. Yep. And, and yep. I don't, based on what I know, I couldn't do what DBE does in Photoshop, which is one of those reasons why you need PixInsight to complement, not replace, not be better or worse than, but to complement your your Photoshop. You know, Jeremiah, it's amazing to me how, um, how connected the Astro community is on social media. You know, I, I feel like Many, many of the guests, including you that we have here, um, I met in the first place because of Instagram or Facebook, mostly Instagram. I feel like that that community is very strong and it's a very giving community. It's one that is very supportive and and always trying to help. But um, I'd imagine, you know, you have you have so many people that are following your account that are imagers and uh, people trying to get into it that you probably get questions about this stuff on a daily basis. Pretty often, yeah. And uh, I do my best. I mean, I, I work 12-hour days, 60 hours one week, 30 hours the next week. So I, I get to them when I can. But, you know, as you said, the, the community, you know, the people I've met through through Instagram, you know, you, I've got a, a great friend down in Brisbane, Australia. I've got another great friend up in Colorado. I've got Rob up in, in Toronto, Canada. Just That's all- actually who connected us, right? Yep. Was Rob. Rob Rob was the one who saw me super pissed off about my mount situation that you helped. <laughs> yeah. And That's uh, right. Yeah, the first time first time we talked, you were all pissed off, man. It wasn't even <laughs> I wasn't even talking to a happy guy. No, no, it was it, <laughs> it was uh and, and I guess now would be a good time to basically explain why I'm such a, a happy OPT customer, but I I had my Orion Sirius mount um, and uh, at the 13 month, it decided to kick the bucket on me. And I called Orion, and you know they said I could I could mail it back to them, but I had to pay shipping. It's a heavy object. It just I, I wasn't thrilled with the answers that they were giving me. So I said whatever. Wait, so how long did you have that mount? 13 months. 13 months. Okay. One month longer than the warrant. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I remember that. So I called them up, and and I wasn't thrilled so i said you know what? whatever i'm just gonna get the orion atlas pro you know i was thrilled about the the belt driving and and i was right. sold on that mount, mount. yeah and, and and i was sold on it and i get it and and looking at my guiding now if my guiding is anywhere above 1.0 i'm i'm not thrilled i'm definitely not smiling i'm the pissed off guy that you initially met if it's at 1.2 or higher i'm tossing hand grenades out my back door like i'm yeah, that's what I remember about you actually was, you know, hand grenades. That's what I remember <laughs> more than anything else, like more than even the equipment that we were talking about. I just remember that you were so like, like, honestly, not mad, man. You just seem so disappointed because you genuinely just wanted to be imaging. Yeah, that's what that's what Rob was contacting. me. He's like, he's like, man, this is a good guy down there. He's like, he just wants to be out imaging and he cannot catch a break. That's the conversation I remember. Yeah. And uh, so I bought that mount and, and thinking it would be, you know, the be all end all because it was expensive and it had great reviews and this, that, or the other thing. I threw the box away, which uh, apparently is a big no-no in the AP world. After about two weeks of fighting with it, I'm looking at my guiding. And as I mentioned, anything above 1.2 and, and, you know, stars are trailed, it's not good. My average right. guiding on that mount was 
17.0. It was atrocious. Yeah. Like, Can you explain yeah, the numbers horrible. for us for people who don't know? Basically, it is, it's the average size of the correction that your mount needs to make. So the, the most important thing that the mount does is it tracks your object through the sky throughout the night, and it needs to do so with an obnoxious amount of accuracy because anyone who's ever... <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, anyone who's ever obnoxious, yeah, and egregious. I love my, I love my descriptive yeah. words. Yeah, um, a ton of accuracy. Anyone who's ever tried to take a picture while moving knows that if you're moving, it's blurry. Well, now you're taking a camera through a telescope that magnifies it 300 something times or, or what have you, and you're leaving the shutter open for five minutes at a time, ten minutes at a time. So the accuracy needs to be absolute. What that mount was doing was it was overcorrecting, undercorrecting, and all sorts of correcting that didn't need to be there. And it, it was making my stars just look not like stars. They need to be pinpoints and they look like, you know, Chinese symbols after, after the frames came back. So the mount essentially could not succeed in doing its only designated purpose and it didn't work. So I called back the manufacturer, not the manufacturer, the supplier that I bought it from. And I said, hey, you know, they worked with me. They tried to fix it, but ultimately it, it was a thing that couldn't be fixed. So I asked them to return it and they told me I needed the box. And they said they wouldn't take the return without the box and to go speak to the manufacturer. So I called Orion again, you know, and this is well within my 30 day return period too. And they said, no, we can't give you a box. And I said, what, what do you mean you can't give you a box? You, you make these in a building and then you put them in a box and then you mail them to a different building. Like I know you have boxes and up to the point where, you know, I said, I'll give you guys a hundred bucks. Just send me an empty box. And their, their answer was, we don't have any. So here I am sitting on my kitchen floor with two broken mounts in front of me and no means to get either one of them back to where they need to be. And I just spent $2,000 for a mount that doesn't work. I was just stunned. And, and like Dustin said, I, I just wanted to image. And so I went on Instagram and I posted it with just, honestly, I was pissed and I was just venting. And then Rob saw it and put me in touch with Dustin who said, you know, hey, you seem like a straight up guy and this is not a customer service type situation that is that is reasonable you know you, you're you're well within your rights to return this you know you paid good money for this it should work it's simple you bought it it should work and i said i i know but i'm, I'm not sure what to do and dustin ultimately took the return from that mount or for that mount i mailed it back to him despite the fact that i did not buy it from obt i bought it from a competitor he took the mount back and sent me a mount in exchange, which happened to be a, about $400 more expensive in exchange without charging me the extra money. And, and that is a level of customer service that I've never experienced anywhere else. It is, I felt guilty just accepting that offer because it was so insanely generous and helpful. And it, it, it's, I, I will never buy another AP product from another company if I have a choice again, because that, that amount of customer service and, and forward thinking and, and loyalty is, is something that you don't find in this world anymore. And it's not something that I'll take for granted. So, you know, I, I've thanked Dustin a million times and, you know, I'll thank him a million more. It, it's, he, he saved my imaging career, if you want to call it that, because, you know, I didn't have a spare $2,000 to spend on another mount. So thank you again. Hey, no, man. Thank you. And and honestly, you know, when these things come up, we always put it to our staff. So honestly, that's where this came from is like this stuff comes up and our staff knows very well that the reason we're here in the first place is because of people sharing the same passion for this that we have. And um, 
without them, there's no job here for us. There's nothing that we can do. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it hurts to watch somebody that has the same passion. You know, you can kind of put yourself in those shoes and be like, shit, man, what, what would I do? And you realize how big a trap it is when all of a sudden the things that you bought it, the confidence that you had in buy it, you know, led you to it. And then you get trapped with it and you're stuck and there's no way to do it without just diving right back into the same hole, which could lead to the same situation. And, um, it hurts, man. It hurts to see. So we just put it to the staff and they, they always, they're always like, look, you got to, just do whatever it takes. Just, just help them. Yeah. And, um, that's what happened with you. You know, they, they said, let's just bet on this guy. I mean, he's going to share, he's going to share these images with everyone. He seems super passionate. He cares about this. He seems like one of us, you know? And so look, it was the right bet. I mean, since that point, you know, you stopped taking that shitty Orion image that I've seen, <laughs> you know, and, You've started doing the work that we believed you could. You know, you turned into a phenomenal imager. You got an A-pod and you are spreading, you know, the love of the hobby with 17,000 people a day. It couldn't have been a better bet, you know, and uh, we very much appreciate what you're doing for the community. Like I said, I know people have to be asking you questions all day, every day, which means your mission is perfectly aligned with ours, even if it has nothing to do with OPT. Our job is to help this community, and it seems like you're doing the exact same yeah. thing. And and you know the 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 words that you say in today's day and day and age, you know, you have companies that say we want to do the right thing, we want to do this, that, and the other thing, but more and more and more, it's all talk, and 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 they don't follow through. You know, every employer that I've ever worked at has been that way. And and when you guys said those things, but then you walk the walk. And you did what you said you were going to do. That was that was what sold me. You know, a lot of people talk a big game. A lot of people don't walk anywhere near that big game. You know, every it it, it just you know you guys followed through when nobody else does, and and that was that was fantastic for me. And I, I very much appreciate that, man. And in respect where you're coming from with it, it's just uh, you know it hurts. It's going to hurt one way or the other. You know, it's not fun. So for those people listening, I'd rather. Our first conversations not be you costing me three thousand dollars, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But Jeremiah, you know, we've become close friends since then, and uh, honestly, it's just like sometimes it's going to hurt. Not all, not all things are going to be you know perfect and work out the way you need them to. But um, no, I think that um, it was the right choice. And man, I'm I'm so glad to see what you're doing. And and honestly, I've become a huge fan of yours. I always look for your images every time you post. You know what's? Uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. I'm still on that same mount story. That uh, I, I haven't been too public about this because it was embarrassing. But that wasn't the end of my mount debacle with with that particular mount. Um, I, it ended up with three non-functional mounts sitting in the middle of my kitchen because I don't live in a very big house, so all of my mounts were in my kitchen. <laughs> they're, they're still the mounts sitting in my kitchen. But I had that mount. I took it out. I think it was the second night I took it out. I don't know why, but I, I unplugged it from my adapter without turning the mount off which is something we all know we're not supposed to do, but it's something all of us do because nothing bad ever really happens. Well, the third night I took the mount out and I tried to turn it on and it wouldn't turn on. And I sat there and just, you know, definition of insanity style, turned it off and on and off and on and off and on, hoping that it, it, would, it would turn back on and it didn't. And I literally dragged it back inside. I sat there on my kitchen floor and I looked at these three non-functional mounts and I was like, what, 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 <laughs> who did I kill in the past life? Like I yeah. definitely shot JFK before I was reincarnated. Like, oh my God. 
So, well, the universe is a shy creature, man. It saw what you were doing with those photographs, and it's like you're not going to make us look that bad. Yeah, no, you're not doing that <laughs> Orion not. shit again. You're not. Doing, you, yeah, do that one more time and see how many bad mounts you get. Okay. I don't. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what. Uh, what. What. I mean, I know what caused. That. I don't know what made me think of this as as a solution, but I I saw that the AC adapter for the power plug could be unscrewed. I unscrewed it and I ended up doing nothing more than just blowing the tiny little three cent fuse that was in there. So I took one out of a different one. I replaced it and the mountain has been wonderful ever since. But that, that moment of sitting there on the floor with three mounts <laughs> that didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. What's your, um, what is your guiding like now? What are you getting? I generally get, I think it's total RMS. That's the number that I keep referring to. Um, on a really, really good night, I can get 0.6, but that is... Oh my God. So it's just dead. It is just flat. It's it's great. It, it makes me happy. Now, can I um, ask you about the... You also have a, a guide scope, right? Of course. And that and that is in conjunction with that guide scope? Yes. Yeah. The guide. Okay. So, so the, the mount will naturally track by itself, but the guide scope is essentially what picks up the slack. You know, the, the mount, even a mount that's five dollars or $10,000, I mean, I, I don't really know, but I know it won't track manually by itself forever. You need a guide scope to, to pick up the little fluctuations in, you know, the gears or the belts or, or the movement of the ground. You know, the mount by itself can never be perfect. And the guide scope is what picks up that slack and gets it mighty close to being perfect. Now, what the professionals do that is, and, and I want to ask you about using a separate optical tube as a guide scope, because in, in the professional world, they, they use little off-axis guiders that grab a piece of the light out and to guide on that because it's of, of things like flexure and the two optical systems being just a little bit different reactive to the ambient air or whatever it happens to be. Do you not have that with this system? I mean, I'm looking at your Instagram feed. You have a, a 60 by 280 guide scope. Yep. And it's got a little little uh, camera on the back of it, ZWO camera on the back. That's accurate enough to keep it to within 0.6 RMS of the star or whatever it is you're guiding on? Yep. So far, I mean... You don't worry about the guide scope doing one thing and what's in the image plane of the telescope doing another? A little... Or it, towards the beginning of our conversation, I mentioned how the CMOS cameras, the ZWO cameras, make it easier for imagers with less forgiving mounts or less forgiving setups to get away with more than someone using super long exposures would do. And aside from me tightening down that the, the guide scope as, as much as I could, which of course, you know, you need to because of flexure and making it as secure as possible, as you mentioned, it's never going to be perfect. But when you use a Zero camera like I do, I'm not taking a 30 minute exposure. I'm not taking a 45 minute exposure. So if it does flex a little bit, it ends up being okay because I get away. I only take three minute long exposures. When when I shoot AJ, it's 180 seconds. When I shoot uh, 03, it is 120 second exposures. I'm not shooting hour long things. So I get away with it. And, and you can generally do that as long as you've got it locked down tight, not slapped on there with duct tape or something like that, which yes, I've done before. Didn't work. <laughs> but Dustin, you do do long exposures, don't you? On order of an hour. Yeah, I do. 
I do. From the observatory, mine are generally, the shortest is generally about 30 minutes in um, narrowband. And then, yeah, I mean, I push them above an hour. Sometimes. And how do you guide with that system? Um, so, I mean, that uh, it's it's got an off-axis guider, okay. but that's right. on a, uh, I mean, it's a massive system out there. I mean, you know, this thing, when you walk in, it stands up and it's like almost 12 feet tall. It's it's a big, it's a, it's a monster, but um yeah, you know, it's uh, it's got an off-axis guider and it can guide. Yeah, I mean, sub arc second. It's it's really it's limited more by the seeing than it is the system itself. Now, what's uh, but, um, what's the focal length on your on your? I know you've got more than one, but uh, that one that's out there, the the one that I use the most out in Joshua Tree is three meters of focal length, so three thousand millimeters. So that that brings to uh, the point, the initial question: you can get away with. A, uh, a separate guider up to normally about 2,000 millimeters of, uh, of focal mm-hmm. length. Yeah, then you start running into cone error. And so so slower systems have a, uh, a harder time than faster systems with, with gravity. They, they, they do that to a certain degree, and then it's just, you know, you're looking through a, a tighter magnifying glass. So there's a certain amount of acceptable error when you're guiding when you are at shorter focal lengths because the stars are right. so small it you, you just won't notice it unless you really are pixel peeping and, and trying to find something wrong with somebody's image or something wrong with your own image and you need to pixel ask, you know, peeping i like that <laughs> and uh it, it but are you are you a pixel peeper jeremy i peep on my pixels i'm <laughs> do you oh, peep yeah. all over those pixels oh, yeah. don't you i'm I'm, I bet you I'm do, man. Right up in there. Oh God! But when when you get into the longer focal lengths, you uh, you you lose that ability to have a little bit of uh, forgiveness. You know, you know, the longer that focal length gets, the more the less forgiveness you have, and the more you're going to need to use an off-axis guider. So it's 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 not a one-size-fits-all, and I personally don't do it because I only shoot it oddly enough 666 focal length. It, it, it just I just don't need an off-axis guider. Not not that short of a focal length. Does it bother you that my telescope is bigger than yours? A little bit. Oh, here we go. <laughs> I'm looking. I'm looking at one of your photos right now, man. You kind of look like a peeper. I, I you know, it is a my pixel, job. Pixel peeper. <laughs> I wonder if somebody has that Instagram handle. Pixel peeper. I, I pixel peeper. P- pixel Perfect. peeper. Light bucket. Like, there's some good ones that you could get in there, but literally. <laughs> It's my job to sneak around and be up in people's business, so I'm just doing my job, man. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, it really is. You know, um, I think that one of the th- one of the things that I thought was interesting was you don't really fit the stereotype of um, of you know most imaging enthusiasts, you know, and I, I get made fun of a lot for it too. Um, but you know, it looks like your other hobby is the gym. And the same here, man. I'm, I live in the gym. You know, if I'm not at work, I'm usually at the gym. But uh, do you find it hard to balance those two things? Because they're both exhausting. No. Um, I mean, the, the gym is, you know, I grew up, <laughs> when I graduated high school, I was 5 feet 11 inches tall. I weighed 124 pounds. I was a tall girl. Still, I still don't have a very deep voice. It's just, you know, I still sound like a girl, but I look less like one. And uh, I, I joined the fire department in New York. And, and I, I don't have a deep voice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I, I joined the fire department in New York. And the first dude I met was my, uh, my lieutenant, who was like 400 pounds. And I'm like, Jesus, mm-hmm. this ain't going to work. Yeah. So, you know, I, I started getting into that. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's different. 
it's it's required now because of my profession. But yeah, it's exhausting. But imaging to me, I mean, there's exhausting nights where nothing goes right, and that is certainly exhausting. But you know, with me working in law enforcement, there's there's a lot of crap that I see that I don't want to see that nobody should ever have to see, and and I've explained this before in the sense that you get to come home and and look up at the sky for reasons you don't even understand and look at things that are bigger than you from a physical level, from a philosophical level. These things don't care about your existence. They've been there for forever. They will be there for nearly forever after you leave. It's just the fact that you get to come home and look at something, turn your back on all of your problems and all of your stress and just look at something that is literally outright gorgeous. And, and for us, aside from studying it, you know, we can never go to the Orion Nebula. Its only purpose is to sit there and look fucking gorgeous. Yeah, it, man, I love what you're doing. I do. I think more people need to hear exactly what you're saying now because I think you're you're spot on. And it, it's you know, it's just a privilege. So yeah, of course, there's exhausting nights, and I I threw a laptop in a lake once. You know, I won't keep that a secret. <laughs> <laughs> And that doesn't surprise me. At all, it was actually. a horrible laptop. It was the one that I used yeah. to take the, the Orion it's a picture. Terrible lake, too. Uh, it was a terrible lake. And yeah. in my defense, it is a Florida retention pond. There is nothing living in that lake. So I'm I'm not, you know, destroying anything. I, I'm, now I'm littering. I'm I'm incriminating myself left and right. I need to just stop talking. Yeah. But uh <laughs> You know, you guys got all the you got all the scary stuff down there in Florida, man. You got every snake down there is poisonous. You got alligators eating dogs. Oh it's yeah, a, it's, we have Florida man. Florida man is the oh my god. I mean, I shouldn't. <laughs> so all right, yeah, quit getting yourself in trouble. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell one cop story. This this happened about two weeks ago. <laughs> you've got family number one, and you've got family number two, and their kids are banging each other, and they're not happy about it. For whatever, I mean, whatever, it's just not my business. So they're out in the middle of the road screaming at each other. You know, combined, they've got like six teeth, just just yelling and screaming. Then unrelated guy, number three, <laughs> completely unrelated, down the street, comes out, and he starts yelling at the two of them. And he's really upset about something. I don't even know why. He goes back to his house. He gets a chainsaw. He comes back to the road and threatens to cut these people to ribbons. And they did the first smart thing that they'd done all day. And they ran away and they called the police. So I show up and I make contact with this guy. And, and eventually I get into his house. And, you know, I sneak around. I peek behind doors. I make sure the house is empty. And I look into his bedroom and he's got a pile of pillows on top of a chainsaw. So there's a chainsaw sitting in his bed buried in pillows. And I'm like, sir, why do you have a chainsaw in your bed? <laughs> And he goes, oh, it's just uh, it's where I keep it. Like, are you buried it in pillows? Like, are, are you are you waiting to slaughter the tooth fairy? Like, what, what the hell are you doing? So he's like, well, you know, I have a chainsaw, but I didn't threaten anybody with it. I'm like, no, you just slept with it. Okay, so I walk over to, I walk over to the chainsaw. It's warm to the touch. Okay, I, I've got all I need to know here. Click, click. We're, we're leaving. And it's just... <laughs> Not to, there, there, there was uh, Dustin. I don't know if you saw the post about the Florida man who was arrested outside of Olive Garden for eating pasta belligerent. That, yeah, that yeah. was only so, in Florida, man. Only, only in Florida. Only in Florida. I, I, you know, a friend of mine, or not a—he's actually my cousin. 
hopefully he doesn't hear this, told me that I need to write a Florida man book. You know, I just need to keep a journal yeah. of these obnoxious stories. Oh well, God, yeah, you, yeah. you see them all. I mean, you oh. see the, you see the things that we only hear about, but it's like, that is crazy so funny stuff. though. <laughs> I love the beginning of that story and how it's just something you say casually in Florida. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that makes me so uncomfortable. <laughs> but look, man, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You ever decide to change professions? The OPT is always hiring, man. Get out here to Southern California. We don't have do, you know, we don't have or dew. alligators as far as I know. <laughs> as far as you know, you've got, you got some, bill. I, I can't even talk smack about sharks. So I love sharks. So I won't go yeah. about that. Yeah. Well, that makes one person. But, yeah, I but love them too. The, the be all end all of that story is, is you get to come home and yeah, sure. It's exhausting sometimes, but you get to, you know, that crap, I have to write this down because this stuff is so nonsense that I can't remember it because it's not rational. But I feel bad for talking bad about that photo now. You needed that. Yeah, I need it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you needed I it. I went though. home. Yeah. Yeah. I but, apologize. But get, that photo was great. You get to come home and you get to do this thing. And I said on Facebook and on Instagram the other day, you know, people have asked me why I've never pursued science. And it's, you know, I love science and, and, you know, I love what I do in law enforcement, but I don't love it the same way. And some people are very lucky, like, like Dustin and most of the OPT, that you get to do something that you love and it doesn't feel like work. But I don't ever want yeah, absolutely. looking up at the stars or, or the moon or whatever it may be to ever feel remotely like work. It is strictly something I do because I love and I never want that to change. And, and you know, that is... That is, is, it's, it's the passion that drives the people that take these pictures. There is no logical reason why we should spend $16,000 on stuff just so we can parade around Instagram, not be famous and actually be broke. Like it's right. It's, right. <clears throat> yeah. You know, and I think that I worried about that when we first got started because this was already my, my passion. This was my hobby. This is what I was doing every night. That was clear. I mean, I started a website, everyclearnight.com for that reason you know, just posting astro photos. And um, I worried that if I was doing it all day, every day, that it might feel like work, but I can honestly tell you, it never has. It never has. And we talk about it a lot here, but, you know, I think, I think there's two sides. You know, the first part is we're always so busy, man. We have so many things going on all the time that are related, but completely different from each other, completely separate from each other. You know, like, like the space telescope or the observatory projects or going to Times Square. Like there's always something and it keeps, it's always getting mixed up, you know? So it keeps us busy in the perfect way. And then the other thing is, I just don't know if you can get tired of this. I mean, there's so much to it and it's so complex and so challenging. And I think that People like us and probably every single person listening to this podcast right now is thinking, damn right, because it's the challenge that is the appeal. And so they're looking for the hardest thing you can do Absolutely. in the hardest type of photography. And that is why I think, you know, you can't get away. It gets in your blood and it stays there. You know, earlier, we talked about the troubles of Florida. It's like I'm, I'm looking into Ian actually just sent me a quote and I'm going to probably going to be irresponsible and spend money that I shouldn't spend to pick up that solar filter just because I, I want to stay busy doing this. And, and, you know, the way the weather is in, in Tampa and in Florida, we're always looking for that, that next, for lack of a better word, high, whether it's, you know, I've never seen this nebula before, or I'm excited about this new filter, or this is challenging. That is the other thing. It, it's it, like you said, is literally the challenge and the exploration and the problem solving and then successfully solving that problem and seeing the fruits of your labor that makes this worth it. 
you know, I'm, I'm grateful that, yeah. that I have the followers when I never thought I would get to a point where I look at my own photos and I smile, you know, we're always so yeah. critical yeah. of our own work, but at a certain point, you, it's not even the quality of the photo. It's, you know, what you put in to get that result. And you're proud of that. Not, not the number of likes you're proud of what you did, what you accomplished, what right. you've learned, what you've overcome to get that result. Yeah, very much so. And, I, and I'm proud that you're out there helping other people do it, man. I think that is the best thing that uh, that we can offer is making other people successful. And I've heard from many that you, you've you tried very hard to do that. And it's very much appreciated on this end. We need more people that, that can explore the universe around them in a meaningful way. And uh, you're definitely on that team. And we appreciate you for that. Absolutely. And it's, this is one of many stories that we've heard about people starting from relatively humble beginnings, knowing nothing about what they uh, what it would take to image the sky and turning out photos that eventually uh, are APOD quality. So it can be done and it can be done by anybody, as both Dustin you know, uh, and Jeremiah have noted, by anybody who's got the, the drive to do it. And so, yeah, I have to tell you, this is an amazing, amazing experience. Your photos are outstanding. So thank you, Jeremiah, for taking time out to talk with us. This has been great. Before we wrap it up, I do want to say one thing about that in particular. Um, the, the amount of knowledge that you have to get can be intimidating. And, and one of the places that it, it's very easy to get discouraged. And, and the number of times that I've been on cloudy nights, thinking that I knew something and going there and learning that I know nothing. The, the number of times someone told me, don't even bother trying this. If, if you listen to the people who are in flawless conditions that tell you don't even bother, don't ignore them. You know, I live three miles inside the city limits of Tampa next to two international airports and three professional sports stadiums. My sky sucks. I can barely see the moon. So if I had listened to the people who told me not to bother, I wouldn't be anywhere. The, the joy in imaging is getting out there and doing it. So as hard as you have to think with this hobby, don't think too hard and let it scare you away from the hobby. Get out there and look at the stuff that you think is gorgeous. Do it. Make your own opinion. Don't let someone tell you you can't do it or it's not possible because the number of times that people have told me that, that, that I couldn't pull this off and the number of times I have, like you just mentioned, it's about drive. It's about determination. And, and it's about learning. You know, the, my, my uh, horse head image was taken with 30 second exposures and RGB and all 12 hours of HA was taken literally during a 98%, 100% and 96% super boom. I am doing the opposite of what you should do and still getting solid results. And I'm not, a, uh, you know, I'm your average white guy. I'm not brilliant. I'm not special. I'm stubborn. So don't let your location your weather conditions maybe let your wallet stop you you know if if you have to <laughs> but yeah but but you know if you want it go for it and if you work hard you'll make it and dustin dustin teaches you know he preaches something very similar in opt in general you know i mean that's why we went to Times square to show that this this stuff can be done from just virtually any place on earth and the point is well taken i mean this is this is something that is absolutely important now because of the light the dark skies that are disappearing at a rate that's really quite scary definitely don't let this stop you so there's ways of, there's, there's ways you can get around all of this stuff. All right. Well, Dustin, any, any, anything more to add? 
No, no. Jeremiah, thank you for coming on today. Yes, I think definitely. it's a, a very unique perspective, and it's a, it's such a great story. Love what you're doing and always looking forward to seeing you. And I'm hoping Absolutely. that we can we can get together and do some observing. I mean, I'm only a couple hours away. I'd love to I'd love to connect. I have five acres. You're welcome to come out here anytime as well. So I'm hoping we can get together at some point too. Hey man, it's an option. Five acres is five acres. Yeah. I've got a <laughs> 12 by 12 patio with uh, with a lighthouse next to it. So I will take anything I can get. <laughs> well, we definitely need to get together then for sure. All right. Well, I guess we'll close this podcast out. I want to thank you guys uh, for listening on behalf of Dustin Gibson and Jeremiah Roth. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. And as always, keep looking up. Space Junk is produced by Deep Astronomy and sponsored by OPT Telescopes in Carlsbad, California. Please visit our website at spacejunkpodcast.com. Also, please send any questions and comments or ideas for new episodes to spacejunk at deepastronomy.com. 